One distinctive feature of the Trump presidency has been the prominence of his businesses. Over the last four years, Trump has used his properties to host heads of state, hold press conferences, and wine and dine donors. Trump's businesses, and specifically a lot of his real estate, kind of served as like a green screen or a backdrop to his entire presidency. This was about using the presidency as a marketing platform for the Trump organization overall. That's Brian Spiegel, who covers the Trump organization. And he says, while there have been some financial challenges over the last four years, Trump organization leaders believed there was significant money to be made after Trump left office. But the assault on the U.S. Capitol could change all that. Trump's vaunted business empire is taking real financial hits. The president's brand is damaged. He is very worried about his brand. There are signs that Donald Trump's business empire is crashing down all around it. Now, President Trump is in his last day in the White House. And the events of the past weeks have called into question what Trump's presidency will mean for his businesses. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, January 19th. Coming up on the show, how Trump tied his businesses to his presidency and what that means for the future of the Trump Organization. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Even before Trump moved into the White House, he made showcasing his businesses part of how he operated. Most presidents-elect run their transitions out of Washington. But Trump's team stayed on in New York at Trump Tower. Our colleague Rebecca Ballhouse remembers it. For the press corps that was covering his transition, that meant that every day you had to sit in the lobby of Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue and basically wait to see who was going to come out of the elevator, who was going to go into the elevator. A high-profile meeting today at Trump Tower. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton will meet with the president-elect tomorrow. Cabinet nominees, military generals, business people went up the Trump Tower elevator to meet with the president-elect. All those VIP visits gave a publicity boost to Trump Tower. And this theme of using his properties would continue all the way through his term. And that's different from past presidents. So let's be clear. Trump is not the first president who's been a businessman. Many have come before him, and presumably many will come after him as well. What's so interesting about Trump is the way in which he didn't completely remove himself from the business that he owns over the last four years. Trump's businesses span golf courses and hotels to office towers in New York and San Francisco. They generate about half a billion dollars in annual revenue. And before Trump became president, he stepped down from his roles in those businesses. So what he did is he gave control 
to his adult children, Eric and Don Jr. But at the end of the day, nearly all of the property and assets that the Trump organization have, they ultimately are owned by President Trump. What he did is, is I'm going to continue to own them. And you have to trust me that I'm going to do the right thing. Government ethics officials weren't pleased with the setup, but there wasn't much they could do about it. Here's Rebecca. That's really something that the Trump presidency has exposed a lot of holes in, is the fact that so much of the government ethics framework relies on norms and relies on the idea that politicians aren't going to do something because they'd be criticized for it or shamed for it. Trump clearly didn't care about those things. U.S. law also exempts presidents and vice presidents from conflict of interest rules that apply to other federal employees. So other federal employees, for example, have to recuse themselves from decisions that involve their financial interests. And if Trump had had to do that, it would have required him to make it a much sharper break. Otherwise, he would have been recusing himself right and left. But as it was, he didn't have to follow any of those rules. What do you think it says about Trump as president that he didn't take those steps? I think that kind of set the standard very quickly that Trump was not going to do anything that he didn't have to do. I mean, I think that was very clear during the campaign. He talked a lot about how he was a businessman. I have a great company. I have a tremendous income. And the reason I say that is not in a braggadocious way. It's because it's about time that this country had somebody running it that has an idea about money. He's talked a lot about how much he was giving up to be able to be the president, that he was doing this for the country, even though he had this wonderful life before. So I think it really showed both that he had no intention of doing something just because other people had done it. And I think it also showed how important these businesses were to him. Trump visited his properties often, and he started calling his members club in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, the Winter White House. So he's standing up and saying, I'm going to be the one to make America great again. And where am I going to do it? Where am I going to be making this history? I am going to be making it at these properties. You know, you can't buy a membership to the White House. But it's not that expensive, actually, to buy a membership to Mar-a-Lago or to get a room at the Trump Hotel in D.C., So his promise of American power and the rebirth of America, he's kind of making it synonymous with his brand. The president of the United States, you could kind of buy into that, buy a piece of that. And I think that is something that Trump realized, the power of his brand. But sometimes using his brand alongside presidential business created a spectacle. Like in 2017, when Trump hosted Shinzo Abe, Japan's prime minister at the time. Shinzo Abe is having dinner with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, and there's members of Mar-a-Lago and the, the greater Palm Beach community uh, sitting there kind of in this ballroom. And then word comes through that North Korea had done various missile testing for the first time on President Trump's watch. And then all of a sudden, you know, aides are scrambling around Mar-a-Lago, handing Trump pieces of paper. There's documents people are looking at, trying to figure out. And this is all happening within view of the public. And immediately, pictures start going up on Facebook of this moment of national urgency. All of a sudden, the Trump brand was at the center of history. How unusual is it to host a head of state visit outside of the White House? This happens. 
you know, I think of Jiang Zemin, the former president of China, visiting George W. Bush at his Crawford, Texas ranch, right? So there's many pictures and, you know, it's a very famous meeting. And this happens kind of throughout U.S. history to have this kind of personal affection that you're trying to develop in a more informal setting. The difference with President Trump, of course, is that Mar-a-Lago is a for-profit entity, a members-only club that became an instrument of the U.S. government and of U.S. diplomacy. At times, this co-mingling of the nation's business and Trump's personal business got especially controversial. Rebecca remembers this one incident involving Trump's golf course in Florida. At the G7 summit in Biarritz, France, he was in a bilateral meeting with Angela Merkel of Germany, and he decided to take that moment to plug the Trump Doral golf course. He was asked where he was planning to host the next G7 summit. And he said that Doral would be, you know, a perfect location. He said there was, uh, it was very big. It's got tremendous uh, acreage, uh, many hundreds of acres. It was very close to the airport. And then he turned to Merkel and said, You'll only have a five-minute drive, which is good. You land in Miami International Airport. And uh, And Doral had been struggling. There were some financial disclosure forms where it showed that it was sort of under a lot of pressure. And it was just this remarkable moment of him, you know, not only had he spent several years plugging his businesses at home, but now he's on foreign soil and he's again taking this opportunity, surrounded by world leaders, to promote his business. Both Democrats and Republicans objected to the idea of hosting the G7 at Doral, and Trump dropped the idea. But Brian says there were more than just benefits to its brand. The Trump Organization also benefited financially. There's actually a significant amount of transparency over this. And we can see he made a lot of money off of both official spending from the Republican Party. So his reelection campaign, for instance, making monthly rent payments to Trump Tower in New York City or hosting banquets Uh, fundraising banquets at Mar-a-Lago or another golf course of his, for example. Disclosures from the Federal Elections Commission show that Republicans spent over $23 million at Trump properties. But there were also other kinds of spending. Things like lobbyists meeting for drinks at the hotel bar at the Trump Hotel in D.C., The fact that, you know, it became the social center of the Republican Party in Washington, D.C. in many ways— And then there's the foreign dignitaries who would want to stay at the Trump properties. At least 150 officials from foreign governments spent money at Trump's properties. The Trump Organization has been very clear on the point about foreign governments. It says it does not receive any profits from foreign governments. In fact, any money that is flowing into the Trump Organization at its properties from foreign governments, you know, it's writing a check to the Treasury Department at the end of the year, returning that money to the U.S. government. But there was also a cost to Trump's businesses from his presidency. So the people who loved him were willing to spend even more money there, but others were, you know, completely turned off by it and didn't want to spend money there. After the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, we saw a lot of the charity fundraising sorts of events that are key to Mar-a-Lago's kind of revenue base. They declined pretty substantially after that. So this was like a really clear example of how Trump's kind of polarizing rhetoric actually did cause him to lose money. On balance, it's unclear whether Trump's four years in the White House made or lost money for the Trump organization. 
The Trump Organization has denied that it benefited in any way from Trump's presidency and has said that over the last four years, it even lost out on deals. But Brian says where the Trump family acknowledged potential was in how Trump's time in office could enhance the brand over the long term. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. While the 2020 presidential campaign was still underway, the Trump organization was thinking even further into the future. I had a conversation with Eric Trump over the summer, and one of the things that he made so clear is that we gave up so many business opportunities while President Trump was in office. Once he leaves office, whether that was today or whether that was going to be in four more years from now, they were ready to do this global expansion, expanding the hotel business. So I think India was a market that was very much in their sights. Parts of the Middle East were very much in their sights. And surprisingly, China was actually in their sights. In addition to hotels, the Trump Organization saw a lot more opportunity to license the Trump name. So let's say you're like a newly minted millionaire in India or China or some other part of the developing world. It might not be feasible for you to buy a membership at Mar-a-Lago because you're thousands and thousands of miles away. But you can buy a piece of the Trump brand by buying a condo, for example, that has Trump's name splashed all over it. You know, when we talked to our sources around the world, one of the things that became very clear to us that this was a very strong pull for potential customers, the Trump brand and the fact that President Trump was in the Oval Office. These opportunities were important for the company because the Trump organization was facing some challenges. Its tourism business had been hurt by the pandemic. And the company had been fighting investigations by prosecutors looking into its business practices. One of the investigations is being carried out by Manhattan's district attorney, Cy Vance. And for a while now, he's been looking at potential kind of insurance and bank fraud allegations against the Trump organization. That investigation is particularly notable because potentially there's criminal liability attached to those actions. The other investigation that I think is notable is by New York State's Attorney General, Letitia James, and she's looking at whether the Trump organization sought to kind of inflate the value of its assets as a way to gain economic advantages in its business. So in each of these cases, the Trump organization has responded that these are completely politically motivated investigations. You know, Ms. James and Mr. Vance are both Democrats, it should be noted, and the Trump organization worked really hard to defend themselves. So in the the case of Cy Vance, the Trump organization has fought his 
requests for documents, including Mr. Trump's tax records, all the way to the Supreme Court. And then the assault on the Capitol happened, leading to the president getting impeached for a second time and prompting a backlash against the Trump organization. Right now, the Trump brand is radioactive. Very few people want to be associated with it. For example, Trump's invested a lot of money in golf courses. Well, after the events of January 6th, the PGA started fielding questions about what are you going to do about the PGA Championship in 2022, which is lined up to be at one of his courses in New Jersey. Well, ultimately, what they decide is in no way are we going to be able to host this event there. And they canceled it. The head of the PGA said it would be a, quote, detriment to PGA of America brand to have the championship there in the wake of last week's riot. The Trump Organization responds that the PGA is in breach of its contract over its decision to cancel this 2022 golf event at Trump Bedminster in New Jersey. And, you know, that sort of thing comes as a real personal blow, I think, to, to President Trump, because he loves golf so much, he wants to be a player in that space, and he wanted to host big, prestigious events. You talk to Trump's friends, and that's what they'll tell you. It wasn't only the PGA. New York City said it would end its contracts with the Trump Organization. And some tenants in Trump's buildings, like the Girl Scouts of New York, are trying to terminate their leases. The Trump Organization has said New York City has no legal right to back out of its contracts. And if the city does, it would fight vigorously. The company didn't respond to a request for comment on the Girl Scouts' lease. And the fallout doesn't stop there. Banks dropping President Trump as a client. Deutsche Bank says it will no longer do business with the president or any of his companies. Signature Bank also cutting ties, saying, quote, it's in the best interest of our nation and the American people. Also last night, Stripe. It's a credit card processing company, which means Trump can't accept donations anymore. And not only dropping him as a client, but publicly making statements to the press about it. How often does that happen? I've never... I've never seen it. I'm sure it happens, but I very rarely, and I even made some of these emails over the last couple of days to these banks and expecting them to say, we don't talk about client relationships. And yet within an hour, I get an email back saying, we will not do any more business with the Trump organization or its affiliates going forward. And we are taking immediate steps to close down the relationship. Just the fact that they were willing to talk about it, they felt the need to talk about it, I think underscored for me how damaged the Trump brand has become Of all these partners walking away, Brian says one of the toughest blows for the Trump organization is the loss of Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is really important to the Trump organization because in the years before President Trump took office, they were one of the few banks on Wall Street that was willing to continue lending money to to the Trump organization, even after many of the mainstream financial institutions had, had effectively kind of stopped doing business with the Trump organization. So today, the Trump organization has, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in outstanding debt to Deutsche Bank. This debt begins to mature and begins to come due in the years after President Trump leaves office. And even before the events of January 6th, it was clear that Deutsche Bank, you know, from our sources, was kind of having second thoughts about its relationship or whether it would continue its relationship with the Trump organization. After January 6th, I think what what my sources say is that it's very clear that Deutsche Bank doesn't want anything to do with the Trump organization going forward. Eric Trump told The Wall Street Journal last week that the Trump organization's debt load is manageable and that the company had, quote, incredible opportunities in real estate and beyond. So what shape does this leave the Trump organization in? 
The Trump Organization has really steep challenges. One, who's going to refinance their debt now? If it was looking unlikely pre-January 6th, now it just became nearly impossible. The other really important thing to remember is so much of the value that Trump sees for the Trump Organization is built in the Trump brand. Trump is meant to be synonymous with, first of all, luxury, and second of all, with kind of American power and making America great again. Well, now, after the events of January 6th, to what extent is the Trump brand synonymous with, you know, a a riotous mob on Capitol Hill? The fact that he did want to keep his businesses so closely tied to his reputation as president The risk is that if he's not remembered fondly, that doesn't bode well for his businesses either. I think that's one of the key lessons that we've learned. On one hand, Trump maybe thought he could benefit in the long run. But on the other hand, there's a downside to it. And I think we're starting to see that downside play out. That's all for today, Tuesday, January 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.